This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. If you was here last week, we started a new series called Countercultural Convictions, right? Now, you hear that name, you're like, well, dang, Countercultural Convictions. That sounds controversial. It is, right? Um, but here's the deal. Here's the deal. We're spending seven weeks walking through this thing, and our heart is not trying to be controversial. That's not what it is. Our heart is being faithful. What does it look like? What does it mean to be faithful as, as believers? And we want to slow down as a, as a church and look at some convictions that are core to, to, to the gospel, that's core to our hearts as a, as a church. And oftentimes, living faithful ends up being controversial, right? right? You don't, there's no way that you could live faithful and not end up ruffling feathers, not end up going against. It's the fact that we are going against the grain of cultural idolatry that, that, that leads or causes things to feel, seem, look, and be controversial, Right, but we want to slow down. And one of the things that we did last week, as we are setting the the framework for this series, is we started off with love. Love is the framework for this entire series. This what it all all, all is is embodied and walked out in, and and we are looking at what love looks like. Right now, there was a an incredible distinction that was made last week while we was talking about love, a statement that was made, and it says, love is not God, but rather God is love. Now, that's an important, important statement, right? It's an important statement, and the reason why a statement like that is it's controversial because it's countercultural, and in this culture, culture likes to define God by individual interpretations of love. So when we start doing that and we start having our own individual interpretation of love and define God inside of that, now inside of our hearts and inside of our, our mind, God takes the shape and form of what you feel love is. But what if what you feel love is is wrong, right? So we're saying the opposite. We're saying you need to look at God to find out what love is. Right. Study God to find out what, what love is. And, and, and in, in studying God and looking at God to find out what love is, you start to see something really, really important. Like last week, Pastor Aaron was talking, and he talked about how, how love is revealed and demonstrated. Yeah. So when we're looking at God and we're looking at how he has revealed and demonstrated love, the most important thing that we see is that God embodied love as a person. That's the most important thing that we see. We see a lot of beautiful things, the most important ones. He put on flesh and he embodied love as a person, and that person is Jesus. So today... We want to slow down, and all we want to talk about today is Jesus, right? That's what our sermon is. We're going to talk about Jesus, and all across our campuses, we are making this, this statement that, 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 that speaks to how we see things. It's this. In a world or culture that validates many different paths to God, we believe that faith in Jesus is the only way for us to be forgiven of sin. 
and being reconciled with God. Now, now that's the statement, and, and it hits right to my heart, right? Because I remember, like, I used to believe all roads lead to God. Like, like, like we all are at, at a, on a mountain, and, and we're all climbing up the mountain, but we're just climbing up on different sides, and eventually we'll meet at the top of the mountain. Some of us have heard stuff like that before. I used to actually really, really believe that, right? And th- that's what it is. We'll meet at the top, or, or, or many of us believe, say, man, I believe in God, but... But I won't make a distinction and just specifically say, Jesus, I just in general believe in God. But the thing is, if you actually consider the teachings of Jesus, you actually start walking through the Bible and you start carrying through, Jesus forces you to make that distinction one way or another. The only way you can exist without making that distinction is not read his Bible, not study his teachings. Like, that's the only way. He, he eventually forces you to make that distinction. This morning, we want to dive into what that looks like. So if you're at Matthew chapter 6, uh, verses 13, we're going to go all the way today. But as we go through this whole section, verse all the way down to 28, we're going to kind of weave in and through it. So I want you to just kind of follow along. And I'm also going to be highlighting some stuff on, on the screen just so that you remember that as we're pulling these points from it, we're really pulling it from the text today. And so I, I want you to remember this is God's word. Can you say amen to that? When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, some, I want you to notice that, some say John. Others say Elijah. And still others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Now, Jesus has been doing tons of miracles, walking with his disciples, navigating through life with them. He's called them to follow him. And all the way through, what they're seeing is the kingdom of God at hand. They're seeing the king at work. Can you say amen to that? And when he gets away from the crowds for a moment, he asks his disciples a very open-ended question. One that seems very easy for them to answer. Hey, what are cats saying about me? Who, who, who said what? Who's saying what? Now, I want you to notice how easy it is. Now, in my mind, and I know this is not contextual, or maybe it is, I don't know. But if I picture this scenario, and I can kind of think visually, I picture them all just sitting around, Jesus asking the question, and they're just cracking up at all the things that people are saying about Jesus. Oh, did you hear this? Someone said this, and someone said this, and they're like, oh, for real? Oh, wow, I heard this, and I heard this. And everybody's saying what they've heard about Jesus. Notice that they are not arguing his existence. They're arguing his identity. Here's, here's the important thing. Even in the world we live in, people are not arguing Jesus' existence. There is a very small, intellectually inconsistent group of people who say Jesus didn't exist. It's very small. Over 95% of people who don't even believe Jesus is king or Jesus is Lord say he existed. 
So today is not a conversation about is Jesus in existence. This is not about Jesus' existence. This is about who is he. And notice, when he was asked this to his disciples, everyone had an answer for this one. This is the easy question to answer. Hey, y'all, what have you been hearing about Jesus? Everybody can give you an answer. I heard this. Oh, for real? I heard this. Oh, yeah, I heard this. And notice all of the kinds of things that in our culture are being said about Jesus. You could just ask, hey, what are folks saying about Jesus? Oh, some say he's a teacher. Some say he was a prophet. Some say he's a hologram. Some say he's this. Hey, it's out there. Some say he's this, some say he's that. Whatever it may be, we could come up with all kinds of answers. But I want you to notice this. When you're asked this, who do people say that I am? And you see this, some and others and still, and we speak in very general terms. I want you to notice this. The easiest confession that you can make is what you've heard about Jesus. What your mom's told you. What your grandmama preached to you, what your, what your Sunday school teacher said about Jesus, and then what, what everybody else told you, and then your, your professor at college, he had another thing to say, and then, and then the uh, next door neighbor, they, they've been cursing Jesus' name, you hear it through the walls, and then everybody, everybody has something to say about Jesus, and the easiest confession you can make is what you've heard about him. See, the reason... Why that's the easiest thing you can say is because in one way or another, in one way or another, the world has to answer the question of who he is. We, we, we don't escape living on this planet without doing that. In one way or another, the world has to answer who he is, and, and, and we have to make a statement or proclamation of our view of his identity. One way or another. And it's crazy because he's talking to them. He's asking them, what does everybody else say about me? But he doesn't stop there. He continues the conversation. He doesn't stop there. It's, it's one thing to ask those that are far off and disconnected who they say he is. But now he turns and he asks those that he brought near, those that he handpicked. Those that have broken bread with them. Those that, that have been doing ministry with them. Those that have been fellowshipping with them. Listening to him proclaim the gospel. He turns the conversation to them and he asks, who do you say I am? I get what everybody else is saying. Let me slow down for a bit. Who do you say that I am? I get it. You're, you're, you're walking and you're hanging with me. He, he, he doesn't just assume that their presence or attendance is a proclamation of who they believe he is. Right. He doesn't just assume since they showed up at the Sunday service oh. that, 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 that their presence or attendance was right. proclaiming who he is. He doesn't just go with that. He still confronts them with the same question that the world is confronted with, and they still have the responsibility to respond oh. And consider what their response is saying. Consider what their response is saying to the world around them. I get it. We asked everybody else, but who do you say that I am? But to him, it's, it's, it's personal now. It's, it's, it's more so it's personal now. They've experienced him in a way that is uniquely different from the rest of the world. 
There is relational proximity with him and them. Sort of like a family member experiencing the family, but they're experiencing it different than someone that doesn't live inside the house. Right? Like, you know the family uniquely. You, you know how much mom or dad had to sacrifice. You know the thing that, 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 that they, they, they cried over. You know, you know, and you know because you've seen it. You've experienced it. He turns and he asks them, who do you say that I am? And the thing is that I want us to grab this morning, Christ is still asking us that question. Like, like, we need to wrestle with that. Us sitting inside these chairs, who do you say that I am? There's no assumption that's going on here. We have to constantly examine and consider how we are responding to that thing. People are asking that question. Listen, the world is asking that question. Oh, yeah, you say you're a believer. Who do you say he is? They're asking it over and over and over again. You see, our response to this question, it shapes the, the choices that we make. It shapes the things that we prioritize as important. Our response to this question shapes what we see as beautiful and powerful. So he turns and he says, who do you say that I am, fam? And there's a response. <laughs> that wasn't a response, but here's the response. Look, look, look. It says, Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Notice he asked all 12 of them, but all one of them responded. Uh All one of them. Here's the funny thing. Most of us will will, will sit here and what we'll do is we'll categorize ourselves with the one and not the other 11. Uh But let me be real, there are many of us inside this room right now, sitting in chairs right now, that struggle to publicly proclaim who we say he is. We're good with showing up inside the building and being around the functions and being around the people, but actually having a public declaration of who he is. There's a little struggle there. I need to play it safe. I don't want to offend anybody. I don't want to ruffle any feathers. But, but deep down on the inside, here's the real wrestle. The real wrestle is that we struggle with submitting to that reality in our own hearts yeah. of who we is. We're yeah. good with being around it, but we're yeah. still wrestling yeah. Yeah. like the other 11. But as for Peter, he, he, he answered, right? And I want to draw attention to What Jesus says to Peter's answer. Peter says, listen, listen, you're the son, the son of the living God. You're the Christ. Jesus turned around and he answered him, blessed are you, Simon, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. He says, blessed are you. Not blessed are you because you were so smart, you was able to connect the dots that I was leaving for you. He said, blessed are you, not because I left all these crumbs and you were able to find it and figure it out. Blessed are you, not because you was able to study so deep that you got to this point that you now understand the truth. That wasn't it. He said, blessed are you because it got revealed to you. Because God opened up your eyes. Blessed are you. Listen. We, we, we got to get this. It's, 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 it's not because anything else. Listen, Jesus makes 
zero sense to the carnal mind. He makes zero sense. Listen, we're talking about worshiping a guy that got killed and murdered. That right there starts off not making any sense. Things that seem to defy what we see as natural law, we just categorize it as fictional. That's the story. I don't know. I put it in a different category. Jesus, he doesn't fit the narrative of what's powerful. He doesn't fit in the story that culture is telling us. Culture says this is what power looks like. You ride in on a thousand horses and you go to shop. But, 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 but that's not what Jesus is doing here. He doesn't fit none of the narratives. The only way that Jesus makes sense is if the Father opens your eyes. And when he opens your eyes, he skips over trying to make it make sense to your intellect. And he makes it make sense to your heart. Even if I can't completely articulate it, I know that it's true. I know that I know that I know what makes sense inside of my heart. And if you're that person, Jesus says, hashtag blessed. I'm just, I'm, in, I'm just in the scripture. Jesus says that. We got a whole bunch of other things that we say hashtag blessed to. You got a new car. You got, you got new clothes. You got new this. But Jesus said, you actually know that I'm God. You really, really, really are blessed because you're living inside of a world that is struggling with this reality, but you get to enjoy the fruits of that reality because you know what you truly are blessed. And I think we're walking around waiting for other things to tell us that we're blessed. But the fact that God opened my eyes, allowed me to see the truth, blessed are you. And we need to walk inside that. That needs to drive the things that we say and how we do it. Church, I hope that you hear what is being proclaimed because the reality of this is if you know Jesus, it's a miracle. We live in a world that's trying to strip salvation and our understanding of Jesus down to our mental ascent. We think that the smarter people read scriptures better than everybody else, so they get it better than everybody else. And because they read scriptures better than everybody else and they figured out Jesus is real. Because you're smarter, or maybe because you came up in the right kind of family, or maybe you had the right upbringing or the right background. And the reality is when we give power to something else, we remove this reality. If I know Jesus, it's not because of myself. It's a miracle that I know Jesus. The Father has done work to open my eyes to who he is. And look at what happens in these next verses. And I tell you this, Peter, and you... I tell you this, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, and I will give you the keys to the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged his disciples to tell no one he was the Christ. Here's this word, he was the Christ. I want you to notice what ends up happening here. Peter makes this profession, this miraculous profession, and he reminds him, my father has done this work. The spirit opened your eyes. This is not just you coming to this on your own. And then he goes, listen, here's what happens when you come to see and understand who Jesus is. He changes his name. It was Simon, and now it moves to Peter. Your name changes. There's an identity shift. Next, there's a foundation that our lives are built on. I'm going to build this foundation. On this confession, my whole family is going to be built. There's protection against the enemy. The keys to the kingdom, there's authority. Jesus changes everything, church. 
I'm tired of hearing a gospel and a proclamation that people can come to know Jesus and not be changed. There is no way you can meet someone this powerful and not be changed. You are entering into a covenant with the one who created the whole world that in Christ, your name better change. You better not keep your old last name, you bride of Christ. Your name is changed. It's not hyphenated. It's changed. You have a whole foundation now by which your life is, there's protection. Here's what's going to happen. He, he warns us in this. When you come into this house, the gates of hell are going to try to come against this work. But there's protection because there's nothing that the gates of hell can do when our lives are built on the foundation of Jesus. There's access. He goes, hey, you're moving into my house, not only moving in, I'm giving you keys. You have access to the Father. You have access to the house. Whatever you do, I'm a, whatever you bind, whatever you loose, there's this authority that comes. Church, I wish we understood the power of the gospel. Now you're going, why don't we understand the power of the gospel? Because we're in America. We're in the West. Here's the gospel we have heard all of our lives. Hey, y'all. Jesus loves you so much. And you know what he wants to do? He wants to come into your heart to be your personal Lord and Savior. So if you could just open up your little heart to him, just let him come on in, your life would be so blessed. And you know what we hear in that proclamation? That Jesus wants to be your friend who comes in, just kind of hangs out with you in your world. The beauty of what this proclamation is, he said, you are the Christ. This word is Messiah. You're the Lord. You're the son of the living God. You're king. I think Kanye said it right. Jesus is king. What if the gospel is not him coming in and just fitting into your kingdom? What if it's him ripping you out of your personal little kingdom and bringing you into the kingdom of God? Where he is Lord over everything. What if the gospel is far greater than him just being your friend? What if the confession is more than just acknowledging you got a new buddy? What if the confession is this, Jesus is Lord? What if Romans 10, 9 is right? If you confess with your mouth the Lordship of Jesus and believe in your heart that he's been raised, that he's conquered death, hell, and the grave, then you will be saved. What if the proclamation is not just, hey, come on in and bless my little heart and hang out with me and just kind of submit to my authority. Whatever I need you to do, you can do. No, it is this. I'm ripping you out of this self-worship. I'm ripping you out of this cultural reality. You cannot save yourself. As a matter of fact, that little world is what you need to be saved from, and now you have a new king, 
Jesus is Lord of all. And when you see this, it's life-altering, life-changing. And here's, here's what I want you to hear. This series is countercultural. It is countercultural. And here's the reason why, church. When, when Tim Keller was asked about uh, his view on marriage, uh, about all kinds of marriage, what, what does marriage look like? Is it just between one man and one woman? Is there all kinds of marriage that can happen in the world? He stopped everybody and he asked a question that I thought was profound because we're going to be covering some countercultural things, but here's what I think comes down to it. He said this, before I answer that question, let me ask you a question. Do you believe Jesus rose from the grave? And they said, that, that's not what we're asking. We're asking you about marriage. And he said, hold on a second. That question is more important than anything else because if you don't believe Jesus is king, it doesn't matter what I say about marriage because we're operating in different kingdoms. And the law and the rule of this land is not the same as under the lordship of Jesus as king. Because if he is king, whatever he says is what we submit to. This reality is what happens when we understand Jesus is king, is Lord, that this Lord, this Jesus, when we encounter Christ, when the miracle happens, here's what the miracle happens. The miracle is happening is you understanding it's not about him just coming in. It's about you going into this whole new kingdom, an identity change in a new family. Jesus is king, authority, access, power that only comes because you you have this new name. Jesus is king. Church, I know it may be hard for you, but some of you maybe need to shout, Jesus is king. I'll give a couple more of you another chance. Jesus is king. Listen, it's the authority that comes with the reality that he is Lord that actually leads to salvation. When he said Jesus is Lord, it's, it's, it's out of his authority that, 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 that we become saved. It, it comes out of that. That's what comes out of it. You see, some of us, we, we, we want to separate him being Lord and, 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 and him being Savior. We separate that. Like, like if he's only a Savior and not Lord, he sort of swoops in and he rescues me from my sins and I get to go to heaven, but I don't have to submit to him as king. I don't got to follow him, but, I, but at least he rescues me and I don't got to pay for things. Or, 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 or on the flip side, some of us only see him as, as Lord and not Savior. That's talking about the process. Like, I sort of saved myself and made, and made my own way over to Jesus, and now we're good because I thought real deep and uh, I did all these type of things, and I fasted 120 days. And I, did, and, and, and I saved myself through all of my works. And now me and Jesus are, 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 are buddies, and we're listening to this, to this wrong gospel. See, Jesus is more than just our, our Lord. He's our Savior. He is. It's not enough to just see him as Lord. Yes. Lord was a common title amongst people that had authority during that time. Yes. Yes. Common title. Caesar was considered Lord. Bosses were considered Lord. But just because someone was Lord didn't mean that they had ultimate saving power. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It didn't mean that. That's why in, 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 in Acts 4 and 12, Peter is talking and Peter says, there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. He turns around and said, there's no 
other. There's this story in, 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 in Acts 25, 9 through 12 that I think is, is, is a good story that sort of talks about how, how different names give different authorities. See, Paul, he's in jail, right? And he's waiting to go to trial um, with, with, with the Jews, right? And he is in the presence of Governor Festus and King Agrippa. And while he's in their presence, they have to decide whether or not to send him to the Jews for trial. Now, the Jews, they wanted to kill him. And because Paul is a Roman citizen, what he does is he exercises the right of a Roman citizen, and he requests to be seen by Caesar, who is the emperor. Now, I'm talking about titles and names because of authority. Both, 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 both Festus and Agrippa have to respond to the name drop of Caesar, right, because of, of, of Paul being a, a Roman citizen, right? Even though they're sitting there, they even would have let him go, but it was like, well, he said he wanted Caesar, so he's going to have to go to Caesar. So, so he avoids going to a Jewish trial, right? So there's this saving that happens there. But, but there, there's no one in Rome that has higher authority than Caesar, right? No one in Rome. But Peter is making this statement. He's saying there's no one on earth that has higher authority than Jesus. We're not just talking about Rome. If, if, if dropping Caesar's name would get you here, dropping Jesus' name gets you to eternal salvation. See, Caesar's name doesn't do nothing for eternity. Nothing at all. Jesus' lordship is higher than any other name that we could drop on this earth. But before the resurrected Christ was revealed to Peter, even he struggled with this. Right? Let's go back to our narrative. Even he struggled with this, right? You look at verses 21 to 23. It says, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And on the third day, he raised and be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned and he said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. See, 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 Peter was wrestling with the method of salvation. That's what he was, mess- he was wrestling with. Like, God chose to, to save us, and, and, but Peter is conflicted with what, what culture taught was powerful. Culture taught, okay, saving happens by you come in with a tank, blow doors down and everything else. Like, like people like King Agrippa, they want to show power, they kill somebody. Festus, they want to show power, they kill somebody. Jesus, he want to show power, he gets killed. And all of Peter's categories are messed up. And Peter's like, no, 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 Jesus, come over here. Hold on, hold on. I get it, I get it, homie. You don't know how to fight. I get it. But I can swing them things. I'm good. Far be it from you. Get that all out of your mind. You got to have some positive thinking here. All right? I got you. You are not going to die. And then Jesus rebukes him back, but he rebukes him to his soul. He, he says, get behind me, Satan. But here's the deal. Here's the deal here. He was being so real because what, what, what the enemy was literally trying to do through Jesus is say, listen, submit to the powers of this world. Submit to the way the world does things. Do it that way. And Jesus is like, no. 
Peter has no idea the level of battle that's happening here. Listen, if he doesn't die on a cross, our sins don't get atoned for. Jesus is fighting something that Peter needs to be revealed to him. That is greater and that is bigger. That is eternal. It's a different kind of war that's going on here. And the same thing with us. I wrestle with that thing, with that exact same thing. Jesus dying, and that's the way that you do it? He turns around and he rebukes him. And we all need God to open our eyes to the reality that it's, it's, it's him. And the way that he does things is not in concert with the way that the world does things. Yeah. And this is where the true power is at. Yes, yes, yes. Even though the world is sold as something different. Yes, church, I, I hope that you would have ears to hear what the Spirit of God is saying to us today. What he does to them is he says to them, listen, don't tell anybody that I'm the Christ. And then immediately he begins to whisper into their ears the gospel. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die on a cross. And I'm going to resurrect in three days. And Peter, who just had his name changed to Peter, gets another name changed to Satan, right? And, and, and I want you to see what ends up happening inside of this is that Peter in Revelation was operating in a place in which the Father revealed to him. And at the end of this, he said, now you're going back to operating in your mind, your flesh, your carnal mind. You see, the gospel, when it is revealed to us, it breaks every category. When Jesus begins to reveal to us, it breaks every category of all that we thought and all that we thought was possible, everything that was supposed to be done, all the what power is, all what life is. Everything changes when we meet Jesus. And the reality is Peter's salvation at this point is not being questioned. What Jesus is showing him is that when you operate in this place of seeing who I am because my Father's shown it to you, we even in our place, even when we have seen Jesus and our eyes have been opened, can go back to operating in our minds, in our flesh. And what we need to see in this is that Jesus as the central figure in our lives, there's only one response that is, that is right and proper and what the gospel calls us into, and it's called faith. I want you to look at what Jesus says. Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me, for whoever would save his life will lose it. Here's where we're trying to do. We're trying to save our own lives. And in the pursuit of trying to save ourselves, we end up losing ourselves. But whoever will lose his life for my sake will actually end up finding it. For what will it profit a man? Here, hear this in this series. What does it profit you if you gain everything and you lose your soul? The right response to the gospel is faith. For it is by grace that you've been saved. Through faith, it is a gift of God. It's not of yourself, lest you should boast. 
What does faith look like? It looks like what Jesus just calls his disciples into. It looks like union. Notice what he's calling them into. He just revealed to them, I'm going to die. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to go to the cross. And then he goes, now you enter into that union with me. As I die, you die. As I resurrect, you resurrect. The work of Jesus is a union that we get to have with him. We are being drawn into union with Jesus. Scripture says that this union that the Father brings to us is a miracle. Church, I want you to hear this language because there's so many in here are going, when you hear the gospel proclaimed, we begin to struggle with this question. Well, how do I know if Jesus is showing me himself? We struggle with faith because we go, well, how do I know he's opening my eyes? How do I know I'm uh, saved? How do I know? And the struggle is if I'm not in control of salvation, that means he's in control of salvation. And if I'm not in control of salvation, how do I know if I'm saved? Something called faith. And here's how faith happens. I want you to... To hear what Scripture teaches us about faith. Faith happens this way. The Father opens our eyes to something. That's a miracle. If you are seeing the beauty and the wonder of Jesus, even if today this is your first time and you're starting to go, wow, I'm, I'm starting to, to see him. I'm, I want him. Even that, you, you've got, instead of going, well, is this me? Am I coming up with this? No, I, I just, I'm here to be the first one to tell you, uh, the Father is opening your eyes. You know, what do I do? Well, Scripture says, if you call on his name, you will be saved. What does that mean? Well, then, Scripture opens our eyes even more. It says anyone who calls on the name cannot do it apart from the Spirit giving us the power to breathe and say, Father, to call on him is a work, is a miracle. And here, here's the beauty. If today your eyes are being opened and if today you are wanting to call out his name, this is a miraculous work of the Father. And I will tell you this, there is no one who calls on his name that will be rejected. There's not one. It's not about, is the Father rejecting me? Is that in this work of salvation this morning, what he's doing is revealing to you what it means to trust in him. What it means to put your faith in him. It's dying to the saving of yourself. It's dying to the kingdoms of this world. It's dying to all the things that your mind has been, that has been shaping you. It's dying to that, and it's saying, no, Jesus is king. And what ends up happening is as you come into this kind of reality of who Jesus is, you end up losing yourself and simultaneously finding yourself. For the first time, you see who you are because you see who he is. Here's what we've been praying all week. And this morning, as we made this call, there was three people who came 
and for the first time confessed Jesus is King, Jesus is Lord, and surrendered their life to him. And I, I would pray this today as we come to this moment, that if you sense something stirring in your heart and you're like, well, I've been in church, I've always believed in Jesus. This is not about believing, this is about confessing his lordship. I've always believed he was real. I, I'm not trying to be controversial. I'm just, demons believe he's real and tremble. Belief that his existence is not what salvation looks like. Here's what salvation looks like. That you reject the kingdoms of this world and all of a sudden your eyes are open to who the true king is. And who the Lord is. And Savior, who Jesus is and his love. And all of a sudden the Father's revealing to you this, this new revelation, this mystery, this miracle. And if that's stirring in you today, hear me on this. If you're desiring to say, I've been in church all of my life or maybe I've never been in church. But right now I, I want to know him. I want to surrender my life to him. That's a miracle that you want that. That's not you. That's the Father drawing you. That's the Spirit at work in you. And do not resist what God is doing in your heart today. Today, we're going to open up these altars. And if any of you, I don't care how long you've been in church or if you've never been in church, if you sense the Spirit of God moving in your heart, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that you call on the name of the Lord. And then there's another altar call that when we come to this table today, and we drink deeply of this. There are some of you who, like Peter, have confessed Jesus as king, but then you reverted back to operating in your old fleshly mindsets. And you've got some things that you've been operating in mind, the old power kind of systems and structures and trying to... Here, here's the good thing about Jesus is that even in those moments, he corrects us. Can you say amen? He leads us. And he calls us to him. And as you come to the table, there might be some things that you haven't surrendered to him that you're drinking deeply. This is not an issue of if I am saved. This is an issue of, God, I surrender to you. Thank you for your grace and your blood and walking with me. And as you come to the table, you come repenting. You come committing again to the covenant that you've made with the king of the universe. That his life lives and moves in you. So there's two things. For those who may not know him, please come and let us pray with you. For those today who say, I do know him, but there's things that I, I, I really want to do. I want to affirm and, 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 and just spend time with him. The tables are open. But I would ask for you to do something with me as the lights go down. I'd like for you to stand with me. I want us to stand under his authority. Everybody around this room, before we go into this time, the lights go down. I want you to close your eyes, and I'm going to pray this. Because I believe that today, whatever warfare was happening before you came into this room, it wasn't because you just had a bunch of things going on. Uh, the enemy is wanting this message not to be heard. We have a real enemy. We have real flesh. We have real things that are happening. But I'm telling you today, what, what God is proclaiming is his 
who Jesus is. And what we need to do as the church is pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, whatever distractions, whatever things could be hindering, whatever things, whatever you're moving, whatever you're doing, in the name of Jesus, let all things that have, have risen up, let them fall. Let all things that have tried to come against, let them fall. There's not that the gates of hell cannot prevail. What you want to do today, you're going to do in the name of Jesus. So begin as you have been moving by your spirit, calling your children to yourself, fellowship with us, discipling with us, calling us to your living. And Lord, with the, your name would be lifted up in our midst. That at the name of Jesus, at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord to your glory. In Jesus' name. The altar's open. The tables are open. Let's fellowship with our King. This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com.